You can save every day by shopping at Whole Foods Market. Seriously, don't just go for the big sales. Walk the store and see the savings for yourself. In the seafood department, look for the yellow low price sign on Whole Foods Market Responsibly Farm Salmon. This fish is perfect for the grill. Buttery, fatty, yet lean, nice thick fillets. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it, and I know I can get it at a great price. There's so many ways to save at Whole Foods Market. Now you know. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Grammar Girl here. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about capitalizing theories, a meaty middle about splitting infinitives, and a tidbit about language rock star Samuel Johnson. Phyllis P. wrote in and asked, Should theories be in uppercase or identified by italics when adding them to a research paper? In other words, in Dr. Goodman's theory of whole language, should whole language be uppercase or lowercase? Great question, Phyllis. Theories aren't capitalized or highlighted with italics. They don't require any special formatting at all. But you do capitalize someone's name when it's part of a theory, of course. So in Dr. Goodman's theory of whole language, doctor and Goodman are capitalized, but the rest is lowercase. And the same rules apply to laws and hypotheses. And that was your quick and dirty tip. Next, let's learn about split infinitives. They have an interesting history. When adults are ambushed with the concept of grammar, for example, when they meet someone who goes by the name Grammar Girl, they often reach into the depths of their grade school memories and come up with something along the lines of, don't split infinitives, right? Indeed, splitting infinitives is a grammar topic. But the rule you may have learned against splitting infinitives isn't as hard and fast as you might imagine. First, let's define infinitives. They are the two-word forms of verbs, such as to read, to write, and to illustrate. When you split an infinitive, you put something between those two parts, usually an adverb. Here are some examples. To diligently read, to happily write, and to scientifically illustrate. The idea that you shouldn't put an adverb in the middle of an infinitive was mentioned earlier, but was most prominently introduced by Henry Alford, the Dean of Canterbury, in his 1864 book, The Queen's English. Alford didn't state it as a rule, though. Instead, in response to a correspondent who liked phrases, such as to scientifically illustrate, he said he saw, quote, no good reason, unquote, to split the infinitive. One reason Alfred gave for his belief was that nobody was doing it. He wrote, quote, This practice is entirely unknown to English speakers and writers, unquote. But the Oxford English Dictionary disagrees, reporting that split infinitives were widespread at the time. In fact, many respected writers have employed split infinitives both before and after Alfred's time, including Thomas Cromwell, 
Daniel Defoe, Lord Byron, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Elizabeth Gaskell, Benjamin Franklin, and Elizabeth Barrett Browning. From this shaky start, Alfred's opinion about split infinitives somehow made its way into the general consciousness and into English school books, and it was taught as a rule to generations of children. And journalists, according to the Fowler brothers, authors of the popular and enduring 1907 style guide, The King's English. Although the Fowlers found the split infinitive ugly, they nevertheless felt that prohibitions had gone too far. They wrote, quote, The split infinitive has taken such hold upon the consciousness of journalists that instead of warning the novice against splitting his infinitives, we must warn him against the curious superstition that the splitting or not splitting makes the difference between a good and a bad writer, unquote. The rule never stuck with experts. Although I hesitate to say it's impossible to find a credible grammar book that wholeheartedly recommends against split infinitives, I've never seen or heard of such a book. Even the elements of style doesn't recommend against split infinitives, but instead takes a practical approach. It reads, quote, Some infinitives seem to improve on being split, just as a stick of round stovewood does. I cannot bring myself to really like the fellow. The sentence is relaxed. The meaning is clear. The violation is harmless and scarcely perceptible, unquote. Finally, even though early objectors claimed that split infinitives were the currency of the uneducated, a 2010 study from the University of Michigan found that some split infinitives are common in formal situations. For example, the phrase, to better understand, commonly appears in academic, magazine, and newspaper writing. Some split infinitives have become set phrases in English such as Star Trek's to boldly go, meaning that to go boldly would sound odd. In the case of a typical split infinitive, however, a writer can usually move the intervening words without much offense. I'm going to generously frost those cupcakes becomes I'm going to frost those cupcakes generously. In less common instances, moving the adverb makes the sentence awkward. I want to quickly stop at the bank becomes... I want to stop at the bank quickly. That doesn't sound right. A more natural-sounding choice would be, I want to stop at the bank for a minute. In some cases, moving the adverb can also change the meaning. I'm going to really sock him in the kisser means it's going to be quite a punch. But I'm really going to sock him in the kisser conveys more of a sense of determination than a commentary on the strength of the impending punch. Finally, some sentences require a split infinitive. For example, in a 2004 language log post, Arnold Zwicky provides this instance in which a writer must split an infinitive. He expects the staff to more than double within two years. You can't move more than anywhere else in that sentence without a major rewrite. When faced with the clear lack of evidence that splitting infinitives is wrong, but also faced with the almost knee-jerk reaction that's common in the general population, split infinitives, ack, wrong. Or perhaps the vague notion, I'm not sure what split infinitives are, but I think I heard they're wrong. What's a modern writer to do? 
The only logical reason to avoid splitting infinitives is that there are still a lot of people who mistakenly think it's wrong. If you write from a position of power, split infinitives as much as you want. Be guided by the sound and the flow of your sentence. On the other hand, if you have to please others or avoid complaints, it's safer to avoid splitting infinitives. There's no reason to deliberately split infinitives when you know it's going to upset people. I originally wrote that article for the International Association of Administrative Professionals, where it appeared in Office Pro magazine. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages. And you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar? That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. Now on to the story of Samuel Johnson. Samuel Johnson was the author of the two-volume book, A Dictionary of the English Language, which was the most influential English dictionary from its publication in 1775 until the publication of the Oxford English Dictionary in 1928. After signing the contract for the project, it took Johnson and his assistants nine years to write the nearly 43,000 entries. Dictionaries published before Johnson's didn't regularly include illustrative quotations, were often organized by topic instead of alphabetically, and were generally considered unreliable. Also, many earlier dictionaries focused on unusual words or difficult words rather than attempting to be comprehensive and cover all the words a reader might use. Nevertheless, although Johnson's Dictionary was groundbreaking, it also had biases and funny entries. For example, the definition of lexicographer included, quote, a writer of dictionaries, a harmless drudge, unquote. And Johnson defined distiller as, quote, 
one who makes and sells pernicious and inflammatory spirits, unquote. A quirk of the dictionary is that there are fewer example sentences for words near the end of the alphabet because Johnson was running out of space and needed to be more frugal with his quotations. Johnson wasn't rich during his lifetime. He struggled with debts, but he did achieve great fame as a literary figure while he was alive. Johnson was born the son of a bookseller in 1709 in England, and the second half of the 1700s, the era leading up to the Romantic period, is sometimes referred to as the Age of Johnson or the Age of Sensibility. In addition to the dictionary, he also wrote fiction, poetry, biographies, sermons, essays, and an eight-volume version of Shakespeare's plays, which had added notes and annotations to help the reader understand the meaning. Perhaps because of his fame, and certainly because of a famous biography written by James Boswell shortly after Johnson's death, there are many famous quotations attributed to Johnson. One, which seems suited to his nine-year dictionary undertaking, is, quote, great works are performed not by strength, but perseverance, unquote. And another, specifically about dictionaries, is, quote, dictionaries are like watches. The worst is better than none, and the best cannot be expected to go quite true, unquote. But perhaps the most famous quotation attributed to him wasn't actually created by him. He's often cited as the originator of the sentiment that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. But in truth, there are others who said it before him, and his version has nothing to do with roads. It only reads, quote, hell is paved with good intentions, unquote. And that's a brief bio of language rock star Samuel Johnson. It's an expansion of a short bio that appears in my book, The Grammar Devotional. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find the Grammar Devotional and all my other books at your favorite bookstore. Just search or ask for Grammar Girl. This episode was recorded in the studios at the Reynolds School of Journalism at the University of Nevada, and the podcast is produced in partnership with Macmillan Holdings. That's all. Thanks for listening. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.